ready to roll some dice and take some names? In this episode, the guys preview Cartographer's Heroes, tell us about Betrayal at House on the Hill, The Few and the Cursed, and the MTV game, plus their sweet review of Honey Buzz. What does rolling dice and taking names even mean? We don't even know. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 210-210, Flight of the Bumblebee, a classic as any classical music that we cover here on Rolling Dice and Taking Names. My name's Tony. And I am Marty. And who did Flight of the Bumblebee? Um, Flight of the Bumblebee, was it Wagner? I don't remember. Because mm-hmm, that's $5, dude. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so you definitely want to make sure this is right. Have you ever listened to it? Yeah. Okay. And it's just like, will it ever end? The song? I've never had it like, oh, I wish it would hurry up and end or anything like that. Right. And, you know, I keep looking up, you know, who did it, who did it and everything on the Google is coming up with people who have played it. Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. Korsakov. Korsakov. Rimsky-Korsakov. All right. It's not Wagner. It's not Wagner. Okay. All right. Uh, see, oh, I guess maybe that's the William Tell that I'm, that's, that's, uh, well, maybe is that, uh, it doesn't matter because I am not a classical aficionado and it was not part of a game both you and I played that we're going to be talking about called I Want My MTV. I don't think Flight of the Bumblebee was ever on MTV. William Tell Overture was Rossini. Did Wagner do anything? <laughs> Okay, hold on. Uh, Well, what did Wagner write? And you are spelling it correctly, right? Yes. All right. Just want to make sure that you got that right. I know he did a bunch of them. I'm kidding. Richard Wagner. Uh, What is he known for? You know what? None of these are even coming up as registering as anything. Well, that's okay. He is known for a lot of things, but you and I, in our limited knowledge of music, which, you know... I thought I had a lot of knowledge on music and especially growing up in the eighties and all you and I often talk about music and you, you have a ton of it. I love music trivia. What's sad is, is I am classically using quotes trained in piano. So I had to do a lot of these classical music type things, which is why I'm flustered that I could not remember any of these composers of these popular pieces. But anyway, yes, very much into music, more pop music now and rock music. And I, like to think I'm pretty good at music trivia. The Valkyrie. That's what he's known for, Wagner. Oh, okay. What's the name of the song, though? It's got a bunch of German words. <laughs> okay. Let's, can we you know just what? move on? <laughs> That's what I get for starting this thing out of who wrote it and took us right down to a bad rabbit hole of like, okay, wow, these idiots really don't know anything. So... MTV from Big Potato Games. Yes. Now, Big Potato Games, remember, I was a big fan of because last year they came out with Blockbuster, uh, which was my party game of the year, and I loved it. So we got that, and we were able to sit down. I played it with a couple friends. I don't know who you played with. Uh, I played played with family, and it works a lot like Blockbuster. You split into two teams. You do a head-to-head competition, and then you pick up six cards, you keep three, give the other team three, and basically of those three cards, it worked a little bit different in Blockbuster, and we'll explain in a second, but in MTV, you're trying to get artists, so it's not song titles. At first, when I got the game, I thought it was going to be song titles, but it's actually artists, mm-hmm. and each of the cards are a certain category, so there's like teen angst, there is 80s music, queens of MTV, hip-hop, 
And uh, so then uh, you're going to assign those to three different categories. One, you can basically give a lyric, just speak a lyric of a song in order to try to get your team to guess the artist. The others give a one word clue and the others do a performance. Uh, You can hum, you can scat, you can whistle. You just can't sing the words. Right. And what is humming not really singing the words? You can sing la la da 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 da. You just can't say the words of the song. Okay. See, because I'm sitting there trying to hum and that was and that was irritating. You could do Mary had a little lamb like la da 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 da. That's not humming. Okay, but would that have been all right to do that? In our house rules, we said yes. So I could have done, no, I couldn't have done it. There's no way I could get, the one I had to do was uh, Sunday, Bloody Sunday by U2, and not me too, U2. So you could have do a da-da-da-da, just replace every Sunday, Bloody Sunday with da-da-da-da-da-da-da, or la-la-la-la-la-la-la. See, that may have been a little bit in, more um, enjoyable, I think, for us if we had instituted <laughs> that. But but so you had a house rule and I'll go over my house rule a little bit later. So um, but that first category of, you know, when you go that head to head and I read the rule as saying that it could be in, as long as the song had a you in it and you said it. So, so the head to head is basically name a song with this word in it. And it would be a one word. Mine was one word. But it's, it's, yeah, it's one word, but I didn't, when you read the card, it didn't say name a song. Yeah. So what we did, we house ruled that, uh, basically we said title of a song. The Ooh. title of a song had to have that word in it because if it was just a lyric, we thought the head to head would go on forever, which is what happens sometimes in some of the blockbuster head to heads and the blockbuster head to heads were kind of similar things like name a movie that takes place in space. Well, that goat went on forever. But you got 15 seconds. How does it go on forever? No. Remember, there's a clock. What you do is you say the, you say a term, hit the buzzer, and it resets 15 seconds for the other oh. person. And then they say it, and then they hit the buzzer, and it goes 15 seconds. So whoever goes more than 15 seconds, then it times them out, and you lose. So it's bouncing back and forth. Because of that, we knew that happened with us in Blockbuster. We said, okay, when it says... Songs that contain the word why, it must be in the title so the head-to-head wouldn't last or go on that long. So if that if I played under your house rules, I would just give you the nine cards every time. Six cards, but okay. No, you got nine cards and you pick from, th- the first person gets to pick from three. You get six cards, you keep three, give the other team. Th- did you even read the rules? Yes, I did. And I think you're wrong. He's going to go check the rules right now. A few moments later. I owe you $5, sir. <laughs> it is draw nine. So then I thought I'm losing my mind. So I looked up the rules for a blockbuster and that one it's six. <gasps> so that's what I get for assuming. I honestly thought it was pretty much exactly like blockbuster. And that one is draw six. Mm-hmm. Keep three, give the other team three. And this one is draw nine. Keep three, give the other team the remaining six for them to choose from. That means we played on super hard mode because we struggled with this game, man, because a lot of these artists, I don't know. And oh, yeah. It was, it was like, I don't know a lyric. I don't know a song from this artist. We found the blockbuster a lot easier to play because more than often than not, you may have heard of the movie, but mm-hmm. never seen it. Mm-hmm. Or... One of the options was to give a movie quote, but it didn't have to be a real quote, or you could uh, basically do a charade. 
So even if somebody has never heard of the movie, you might could charade out the title of the movie, but here you're doing an artist. It was just, it was just too hard. How am I going to, I was going to say, how am I going to do Alicia Keys, but actually you could possibly Panama out keys, but in regard, Missy Elliott, there you go. Missy Elliott came. I was like, I, I don't know. I can't hum it. I can't give you a lyric. I can't give you a one word clue. So it's just like, throw that one out to the side. Absolutely. And I am right in that boat with you. As a matter of fact, we went out on the lake and when I took this game, the, the friends wanted to play this game. I said, you know what? I will have them trapped on the lake. They can't escape. <laughs> and therefore I will, you know, teach them this game. And I use the big potato um, app on my phone for, you know, the, the timer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, why didn't you put batteries in the thing? I had to go put batteries in the buzzer, but there was an app. I wish I'd known that because I would have used the app. <laughs> Did you read the rules? <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing I read in the rules was you had to get all the categories of all the, which was eight categories. You had to collect them all. Three of them are wild cards and reading the rules of the individual one word performance and the lyric, because that was a little bit different than the movie version, which is blockbuster. So when I divvied up our teams, there were only four of us. I said, okay, what I'm going to do is it's going to be, um, a gentleman who was, uh, you know, 10 years, my elder, and then his wife, who is 10 years, my younger, I guess that's how you would say that. And so we split them apart. So it was her and Donna against me and him. And I'm like, okay, so I can help with the 80s. And I hadn't looked through the cards yet. I had just read the rules and all these names were coming up. And I got, I was like, I got nothing. We couldn't even get the head to head because I could, how hard is it to think of lyrics? We were just doing, if you, if the song had lyrics, I was getting everything wrong. And I'm just like, okay, so we eventually house ruled this to just, here's a lump of cards, pick three, you know. <laughs> We didn't even try. It was, uh, and this is nothing on the game. It was the fools playing the game that were the problem. Well, no, we ran this. So we had four versus four and we had young kids and our age and even the young kids come to find out. I thought all young kids listen to pop radio. Well, they don't. They don't. So they weren't much help either. Um, to us, it was a tougher game, which is probably why they tell you to pick nine cards to start with because it's a little bit tougher. Between the two, I'm going to prefer Blockbuster. Okay. Uh, we had more fun with it. I think it's easier to play. And one thing too, I don't understand, Tony, is the box insert for this was not not up to snuff, man, but a Blockbuster did a fantastic job of making it look like a VHS tape and it had different compartments for holding all the cards. Here, it was just kind of like this little single hole insert in the box. And I got bags and put the cards in the bag so they wouldn't slide all over the place. But I had to resort all the cards after you gave the game to me. Yeah, and especially after I threw it and tossed it up in the air a few times. I said, you know, hey, we'll see if the boy can figure this out. I mean, no batteries. I set you up good. Yeah, you did. So I had to go hunt down batteries. And if I, I guess if I'd read the rule book, I would have saw that there was there was an app for it. But here's the thing. Uh, this is from Big Potato Games. If you're really, really into music and it covers artists probably from the 80s until now. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a bunch of different genres. I mean, the teenage angst was killing us, man. Eventually, we just kept going, I, I don't know, Nirvana. Um, you know, if, <laughs> so Nirvana? During that one, we were guessing just random stuff and trying to get it. And Vanessa started blinking real fast. And I went, Blink 182? And she went, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that might be was that in performance. We we cheated. We cheated. No, it was like a one word thing. And she just started blinking. And I told you this at um, uh, Ice Cream Social when we were playing it. The gentleman said harvest for the one word. And the rule is you can't change the word. So he kept saying harvest, 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 harvest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got no idea. He goes, how do you not know Neil Young's first album? Yeah, that would have been tough. Like uh, Brett gave a good clue on what we didn't get it, but he said rope. And so we were in the mindset of rope being a, a lyric or something. And it was slipknot. And it was like, ah, Brett, that was good. I wasn't thinking correctly. I was thinking strictly lyric. And if, if I'd have thought he's given us a clue to the band name, one of us probably would have said Slipknot. So, so and I think that's one of the, the things with this. You've, you really have to narrow down the type of clues you're going to give for this game because it could be all over. I mean, it could be, you know, Harvest. Well, we're in the fall. Maybe that's Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know. Actually, dude, that's good. <laughs> I mean, that's actually a good clue, for, good clue for Smashing Pumpkins. So there you go. And again, it is a little bit different than Blockbuster because Blockbuster, again, what you could do there is you can uh, you quote a movie lyric, you can charade out the name of the movie or give a one-word clue. With the music, it's a one-word clue. Speak a lyric or do a performance, which is like hum or whistling. Uh, but actually before that, Tony, before uh, the MTV game, I also taught the same group of people a game, Betrayal at House on the Hill. And this is the second edition. Now, this is a classic game, been around for decades. And uh, Rob Davio had a hand you know, in, in making this game and everything like that. And we were excited to play it because we played the Scooby-Doo version mm-hmm. over the summer, and Vanessa really liked it. She said, I really want to try the full version. So we got it, and it is a lot like the Scooby-Doo version. And I don't know if you've ever played, Tony, but basically it uh, you start out in a, in a house, and as you explore, you flip over tiles, and the tiles will tell you to draw an event card and resolve some sort of test. You got different stats on your card resolving a test and, or it could be an omen card. Or it could be an item card. And eventually there's a mechanism through the game where one of you will become the traitor or the haunt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a lot of different types of haunt stories that you could play in a different scenario. And they get a book and they go and read what their goal of the game is to win. The rest of the team reads what they have to do to win. And then you play out the rest of the game. So the game is in two halves. You got the first half basically trying to explore the house and get a bunch of items to help you when the haunt appears. When the haunt appears, you're trying to achieve your in-game objective. I think it's a solid game. I think it's a fun game for Halloween. But my family, and my family meaning like my my sister and brother-in-law and my dad, cannot grasp tests. So... Tony, let me explain to you how the tests work in this. I want to see okay. if you if you could just pick up on this. Well, hold on. Let me pay attention. Let me stop reading the internet and try and f- still figure out who Wagner, what Wagner else did. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm paying attention. I'm I'm with you. There are four stats per character. There's might and speed. Those are considered physical stats. And then there's sanity and knowledge, and those are considered mental stats. Really, knowledge and sanity are m- a mental. Okay. So there are these tests that you make. And each of your uh, attributes have a a value. And what you're going to do is you're going to roll dice based on that value. So if your knowledge is five, you're going to roll five dice. And after that, uh, you're going to count the number of pips on the dice. The dice are six uh, D6s. They have blank sides, a side with one pip and a side with two pips. You count the total number of pips. And the card will say, test your knowledge, I think is what I said. Test your knowledge. Zero to two pips, do this. Zero, you know, three to four, do this. Five plus, do this. 
With me telling you that, do you think you could probably play the game and successfully make tests? Yeah, I'm rolling dice, counting pips, and comparing a chart. My family could not get it, man. I had to re-explain how many dice to roll and how to count it. They, they were just grabbing a handful of dice. They, they would like read, okay, I need five plus. So they grabbed five dice and went, no, it's, it's look at this stat here and roll that number of dice for an hour. I kept having to re-explain how you determine how many number of dice you get and what you do after you roll. And I was, I knew they could tell, I, they, my sister was probably talking about me on the way home because I was getting frustrated. Like, it's not that hard, people. But I guess you got to remember, man, we've been playing games for years. And I would tell you that in 30 seconds, in our whole group, right? I would mm-hmm. tell you in 30 seconds, we know how to play, we'd play the game. But they're not gamers, and I forget that sometimes. And unfortunately, I probably made a bad impression of that game. They probably never want to play again because I was just getting frustrated. I'm sorry you got frustrated. Did you still have fun? Um, I did, and you know it was very narrative. Uh, you won't care for it because there's a lot. There's text reading. <laughs> I mean, it's all about flavor text. I mean, you're playing through a story, which is why Vanessa really wanted to play it. And um, again, it's it's a game of two halves. First half, you're just trying to get as many items as you can because you're going to want items to be able to attack and deal with the monster later on. Again, I enjoyed it. I think it's a fun Halloween game. Uh, there's Betrayal House on the Hill. There's also uh, Baldur's Gate, which is like a D&D version. And then there's an expansion that came out. It's from Avalon Hill. Classic game. Glad I got to finally play it. It's going to stay on my shelf. I'm going to mm. keep it because I think it's one of those on a BBQ. It plays in an hour. I think it's one of those that would be a great BBQ game. Yeah. So when you're trying to teach these games, do you ever try to s- sit back and say, okay, w- what's what's the roadblock? Because I, I understand this. I completely understand. I've dealt with this. Um, we, everybody deals with it. But you kind of got, how do I get past this roadblock? Yeah, I, man, I don't know. Okay, because I felt like it's like, okay, just it tells you what kind of check to make. What is your curtain? Oh, number. Oh, here's nothing. When you take damage, you you decrease your stats. So mm-hmm. if it was five, it may go down to a four. But it may say take physical damage or take mental damage. Physical is you pick whichever stat you want to apply the damage to, and mm-hmm. the same with mental. That took a while to understand. And then it was really frustrating to them. Sometimes when you would decrease a stat, it was a little dial. It would go from five and you would decrease it and it would stay at five. So it may be five, five, four, four, three, Hmm. two, two, that sort of thing. And they were very frustrated with that. Well, I'm not decreasing it. Yeah, I'm you staying are. at five. I'm staying at five. I was like, well, ju- it's, I said, well, you're rotating it in the direction that's going down. Just rotate it one click down. Well, what's one click? Is that counterclockwise or clockwise? I, I, I don't know. And I start fiddling with it. It's counterclockwise. <laughs> you know? It's like, how many dice do I roll? Ugh. Well, <sighs> but you're used to that mechanic as well from all the hero clicks and games that we've played where you're playing with the dials and having, and knowing that sometimes you may get a click and nothing happens. But, you know, the next one could cause an issue. And again, I know that everybody's listening to this has taught games to their family who doesn't play a lot of games and probably runs into that situation. We make assumptions. It's funny. I can't remember what we were playing the other night at our ice cream social, Tony. But we kept we were looking at the rules. We were learning a game. And we were going up oh, a gamer question. And we come, when we mean gamer question, it's like one of those things. It's like, here's what the rules say. 
but what does it really mean in this one instance? Mm. Because we're already thinking ahead of this potential thing that we might run into, and we want to make sure it's addressed somewhere in the rules. Where when you get with people don't play a lot of games, that probably wouldn't even pop into their head till the situation actually happens. Right. So I have a quick question for you. Sure. Have you ever had to repair your sprinklers? Uh, yes. I had to repair a sprinkler head once, but I had somebody else do it because the line was broken. Mm-hmm. And they had to come out there and actually replace a PVC line. We're aerating now. We've got to keep that ground nice and wet so they get good plugs. We've talked about this before. And my guy is just swamped right now. He can't make it to my house. So I got to, oh, come on, dude, get here. And I was running them, running the sprinklers. And one of my sprinkler heads, I had to mark them. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you don't mark them, they're going to hit it with the aerator. And the aerator is going to break the head. It will. And one of mine didn't come up. I'm like... Oh, okay. Well, let's see what kind of issue we have here. You know what we need to invent? What? We need to invent something like a metal detector, but find it for sprinkler heads. It exists. The guy who repaired mine had a device out there could find exactly where the lines were and everything. And wasn't a dowsing rod? No. It was an electronic device. I'm trying to find this stupid head, and then I had to measure it out, and I finally got it, and then I had to go in there, and I was digging down there. And what is the one thing you don't want to do when you're trying to dig up a sprinkler? You don't want to hit the main water line, do you? Well, no, of course not. You'll bust it, and then you got a big mess on your hands. And then you got to fix that, and then you got to wrap it around. And I'm digging, and I finally get the sprinkler head, and I go, okay, the sprinkler's about 10 inches high, so the line that's feeding it should be right around. Where is this line? Where this line the guys had wrapped it around here and wrapped it down there and i'm i'm just like so that's why we're recording so late tonight because it took me forever to repair a sprinkler head it tried to put a new head in no um the connector into the bottom of the sprinkler had broke ah good at least it was something simple yeah and it would have been even simpler if i had marked the head that was actually broke prior to because i dug up the wrong one the first time (laughs) things happen you know, uh, yeah, I've got. I, you talked about you also had like a light to repair, so I installed. Mm-hmm. I'm inst- replacing everything with LED lights in the house, and we had this uh, bulb uh, that goes down to the basement for the stairwell mm-hmm. that went out. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to put a bulb up there. I went out and bought this LED fixture. Oh yeah, this, mm-hmm. that doesn't use LED bulbs. It's basically like flush mount little small LED chips mm-hmm. that are, and then they have a dome over it. It's amazing. I mean, it gives off great light. It's been up there for 12 months and it's already gone bad. I turn it on and it flickers. Sometimes it comes on and won't come on. I'm so, I would, so I'm very frustrated with that. The purpose, the reason why I bought this is so it would last forever. And now I'm going to have to go buy a new stinking fixture because it's not bulbs. The whole thing has to be replaced. Are you sure you don't have a wiring issue? It was pretty simple. Hot ground and neutral but but if you, <laughs> if you didn't put the wire nut on correctly it could have pulled free or it could have you know who knows you could you could have an electrical problem right now you could have an electrical fire you may need to take care of this well i mean i'll go pull it down and, and look but i mean it's worked fine for 10 months and then all of a sudden it started flickering so like i said i'm replacing every house with every bulb in the house led they're cheaper mm-hmm. they're cooler etc and they're supposed to last forever. I swear, down in the basement, I'll have one that I put in like three months later, it goes out. I'm like, why am I spending extra money on LED bulbs when they only last four or five months? The light I had to fix was my own problem. Because, so the um, tree frogs like to sit and get the bugs near the light. But, sure. they, but they leave a lot of uh, tree frog poo around. And so I'm getting the pressure washer cleaning that up. Inadvertently, 
the pressure washer goes off in my hand and hits that light. Electricity and water, they don't like each other. They don't. So I did something in the mechanism and created a problem because mine was doing the same thing. It would flicker on and off. And then uh, so I take a hairdryer out there. And then finally this weekend, I said, forget this. It's coming down and I'm, I'm fixing it. Oh, mm, so much fun. And frustration, let me tell you, I completely agree with you on frustration on teaching a game. Oh, boy. I feel like this can come back and haunt me. No, it's not. It's not. It's frustration on me. Because you and I and Bird at the Ice Cream Social, we got to play uh, The Few and the Cursed. Yes, from Rock Manor Games, I believe. I believe you are correct. That's another $5. Everybody's like double checking that going, what the heck? (laughs) Including me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Did they just screw it up? Oh, so... When we were playing that, you know, I introduced it and I'm like, okay, here we go. This game is a deck builder. How hard can this be? All you're going to do is you're trying to go defeat a bunch of baddies by playing cards and whoever scores the most points wins. Imagine that. And it's like any other deck builder. When you play the cards, the resources are summed up and you use them as you need to. And there's these various actions you can take. So you're moving around this old west scenario and you're trying to get to these locations to beat bad guys but the gamers in us were suddenly thinking oh there's these artifacts on the corner of the map Mm -hmm. we immediately beeline towards artifacts because they're worth points right and that's how we're going so the few in the curse i don't know if it was the poor teach or what but it's probably the poor teach. I'm not even going to say that or what. And it was just like, we kind of miss things here. You know, we kind of, we kind of miss fighting the, ba- we could not generate that engine that you get with a deck builder to go out and defeat the big baddies. Well, so one thing, a couple of things that drew me to this is an asymmetric deck builder, meaning everybody kind of has their own character and a set of cards they start with. Okay. I like that. I thought that was cool. And the characters have vitals. They have various levels. Yes. And so everybody has a board that you're tracking like health, sanity, bullets, and money. Okay. I thought that was cool uh, because you need bullets to shoot uh, guns, which do additional damage, et cetera. And because you're fighting monsters, you have to deal with sanity, use money to buy cards. Okay. I thought that was cool. It reminded me of Clank, very Mm -hmm. much like Clank, because uh, when you draw cards, you can spend cards that have like movement icons, just like in Clank, to move around. And then you can attack uh, baddies uh, by dealing a certain amount of damage when you run across, uh, like when you're in the desert, you can attack, you have like uh, most wanted cards or uh, monsters out there that you can attack. And if you do, you get points, et cetera, like that. So you can spend cards to deal damage just like Clank. So because it was like Clank, I was very uh, drawn to it. And from that aspect, I I enjoyed it. But then there was like the like you said, there's a couple of win conditions. If you get all the artifacts, that triggers the end. Or if a monster, large monster, makes it all the way to the middle of the board, which mm-hmm. is San Andreas, that triggers the end. But the thing was, is, is we never worked through the entire deck of the most wanted to find the big monster to have him pop on the board before we found the artifacts. Right. It was we were using the movement to quickly go get the artifacts. Mm-hmm. Now there could have been a lot more points if you had beat the various bad people out there and yep. that could have helped you, but then it became a race for the artifacts. So, right. I, and it's one of those games where we're playing and you're like, what are we doing wrong? 
Yeah, well, I know one thing is we didn't treat it like a normal deck builder like we should, because you know, typically with normal deck builders, you draw a hand, you play, discard, draw more cards. This is in unique in that you can keep cards from turn to turn. So in theory, you could have this massive combo. And so I started looking and talking to other people that played the game, and they said uh, they kind of ran the same thing that we did, but also long player turns. They said if you did develop this combo, that you may have this hand of cards that you're playing to deal damage, to do this, and it just kind of takes a while. So, and then I was when I was going through that, one of the things that stuck out to me was normally in a deck builder, and this is my deck building mind of Ascension and, you know, the constant play of that is I see a supply of cards that I can pick from that can help hone in my deck. Right. That I can buy. And in this game, you can only, out in the start of every round, you get two cards and you pick one. Yep. And this is what was throwing me off. Is that really messing up my synergy of my deck? Well, not really, but kind of... Well, that's what I kind of ran into because typically you're used to a market and this doesn't have, well, there is a market, market for it. Mm-hmm. If you're in San Andreas, you can buy these little cards that you can put on your player board, uh, which is like equipment, which is kind of always there for you to use. But as far as what goes into your deck, as far as the deck building mechanic, there's typically a market that you buy cards from to put into your deck. Like you said with this one, you draw two cards off the top. Bert ran into the situation. He's like, I just want to find some damage cards. And he kept drawing like movement cards to add to his deck. Well, it's like now he's filling up his deck with movement cards and not the damage cards he was looking for. Something you said I want to go back to, and this could have been the rules teach. Like I said, I'm sure it was, but I thought there was a hand limit at the beginning of your turn. It's not like you can, I told y'all, you don't have to discard all your cards. You can hold on to them. But I thought you you would only draw up to, yeah, you can only, you'll only have five cards in your hand at any given time. Oh, okay. Okay. I missed said that. It's the fact that you don't have to discard your entire hand. Mm-hmm. And you can save cards over. So let's say that you got a lot of damage cards. It's like, well, I don't have anything to want to fight right now. You could hold those to the next turn and hopefully draw into more and have like one big damage turn. Right. Because so you're getting rid of that. I don't want to move. I don't want to move. Here comes my big damage. I've, yeah. I've outfitted my character with a bunch of uh, cards that help me spend my bullets and create a lot more damage. Right. So this is one of those games that I, if you get an opportunity to play, they, they tell it, you know, from BGG is a deck building adventure game based on the comic series. Don't let that throw you because that's, that's something that if you're so used to deck builders, it's different. You're building characters up. You are, you are increasing their stats. You are doing things to help you later go battle the big baddies. And I'm wondering if there's some way with the artifacts to keep people from doing that rush. I I like the event cards that would come out if you were out in the world, if you were in a certain area, Mm -hmm. certain events. And if you were in a cursed area, you had another type of event card that would come out. It was like um, Dead of Winter, Mm -hmm. uh, where at the beginning of your turn, you would draw an event card and it it would affect you in some sort of way. I wish the cards had been bigger. I'm sorry. The the font was too small for my old (laughs) eyes. And we're going to... It was pretty small. It was pretty small. And I was thinking, oh my heavens, I, I did enjoy that aspect of it. I did feel that the map could have been better or laid out, or not laid out, but identified for us for what was cursed what was you know and i guess maybe as you play it you know you just know where those areas are you flip over the rule book oh these are all the cursed areas oh wait there's some colors here that indicates curse overall it was a definite change to how i view deck builders 
Yep. And it was very sandboxy because you could do a lot. You could, I'm going to go out the artifacts. No, I'm going to go stand in San Andreas and we'll try to get a bunch of items to build up my weapons to make it strong. And I'm just going to go out and fight the most wanted guys and try to get points that way. It did make me very interested in the comics. I thought the idea of basically, you know, a Western with all these weird monster Arkham type things coming mm -hmm. out. So I've actually gone and looked up to see what the comic is. And uh, we're very interested in playing this because this is designed by, uh, this is from Rock Manor Games, who also did Lawyer Up. Oh, yeah. The Kickstarter preview that we uh, talked about this earlier. And uh, we enjoyed that uh, game too. So when we got the chance to try it, I definitely want to try it. And I enjoy my time with it, but it's just, it is different than, you know, it's not Clank. It's not yeah, I said, it, it felt like Clank in that you are spending to move around and you're on a board and you're using your cards to move. But there is this also, it's asymmetric. The fact that you got player boards and you're tracking stats and all this stuff too. So it's kind of a merger of a couple different genres of things. Right. And the, the cursed aspect, if you become cursed, your card flips over and your special ability changes. That's what I kept mm -hmm. forgetting. My special ability. What was that? Oh, and if you're cursed and you have to do this and you take so much damage, if mm -hmm. you, if you die, you lose victory points. If on, depending on how far you have back, you have to go to get to San Andreas. Uh, there's all, there's these little things in the rule book that you got to pay attention to and I couldn't find a couple of them. Also, you know, talked about Kickstarter with um, oh, Lawyer Up. We played another preview of a Kickstarter we were very interested in too. I really enjoy Cartographers and uh, Cartographers Heroes is coming out on Kickstarter and this game plays exactly like Cartographers. You've ever played it before. It's got the same sort of mechanic where you got the cards, you got the seasons that you're playing through, you fill in your maps, you got monsters that pop up that, and you hand your map off to somebody else. They put monsters and say, oh, they screw you up but this adds heroes in that when a hero car comes up you can use it to destroy monsters that's been put on your page and that little element right there i really enjoyed so we played through tony you and i we played through a a one game of the a preview of heroes and it, it i thought it was kind of cool your monsters came out and then the hero showed up and if you put the heroes in the right location you can help clear out those monsters so that you can continue making your map and pretty much everything else the basic game works the same way as always but again the big thing about this is the fact there is the hero cards now which help you deal with the monsters and how the heroes work is it'll tell you this hero will attack these four spaces or, you know, orthogonally will attack these or will attack this line of spaces, et cetera. So like uh, the monsters, it tells you a shape of where you can use them. And if you happen to overlay that shape with the existing monsters, then you can kill them and clear them off your board because monsters always give you negative points. There's a lot of things in this uh, Kickstarter though. There's a bunch of expansions to go with the game. So it is not just the base game with heroes. There's all these different expansions you can get and, and apply. It's still one of my favorite flipping rights or writing games mm -hmm. like this because I love the interaction of passing the maps between you and your friends and them trying to screw you up and you screwing them up. And cartographers for me, uh, when it was a flip, I, I enjoyed it. It's, I'm not good with Tetris pieces. Oh, uh, yeah. And then when it comes to scoring... One of the things I enjoy about cartographers is you've got to think ahead to how the various um, seasons are going to score because you can lock yourself out of a score. Right. And one of the, and I just, I'm not good at that. And I tend to forget about these things and I'm just looking to fill in spaces. And then I forget, oh, is that a tree? Wait, or is that water? What kind of drawing did I just do here? Wait, what? <laughs> 
And then I confuse myself and then it gets real ugly real fast. I did like the heroes. I did like the fact that you can join the two together. That's kind of interesting mm-hmm. and be able to build from there. I mean, this is going to be a success. We know it's going to be a success. If you enjoyed cartographers, definitely go ahead and get you some heroes, add those to the play. And I mean, new monsters, new lands. You and I got to enjoy it. And then I passed it off because I was like, I cannot handle shapes. I just can't do it. <laughs> That's from Thunderworks Games. It's uh, currently on Kickstarter now, so uh, go check that out. I'm sure it's going to fund easily, throw money at it, because uh, this was a very popular game. It will do well. And uh, if you've been playing through cartographers and you want some more cartographers, well, it's there for you to enjoy. Head over to portalgamesus.com for all the fun and excitement that they got going on with Empires of the North, Robinson Crusoe, Detective, all that good stuff. But I'm going to warn you right now, if you want to get into the mind of Ignasi, then click on the blog and you'll be ported over to portalgames.pl slash en which is what we used to talk about here on the show and you can see what he is thinking where he is developing cards all that good stuff that's going on inside that incredible mind of ignasi you got a problem ignasi can solve it post a comment to him make a make a suggestion on his blog better yet be sure to um take a look at some of the apps that are coming out always love to get the ties of time on my ipad download some of their apps over there Niroshima Convoy is out there one of their newest be sure to check that out over at portalgamesus.com so we're going to give you a break from board games and talk about something that's really important that's right it's a poll if you go over to our BGG guild number they said people say it doesn't matter what the number is Marty Okay, then just go find our BGG Guild. How about that? That works for me. Go over there. You'll see polls. I'm putting them back out. There was a hiatus for a while. I didn't have a lot of good ideas. I mean, my recent one was all about Cheetos. I thought that was pretty good. I'm still surprised that Crunchy's being puffed, but go ahead. Why are you surprised by that? Because, I don't know. I thought I was always in the majority, and I like puffed. Okay, well, (laughs) you're not. I am. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I like the currency. I'm not on this situation. But one of the polls I put where you could uh, select multiple answers, I asked you, what do you put in your game bag? Mm-hmm. I want to know what it is that is a requirement from your game bag that has to be there. But one of the main ones is f- that I need to add is reading glasses. Mm-hmm. That's on my list. Because I'm telling you, it's it's a shame, man. I'm, get, I'm getting too old. Especially during ice cream social at Jason's Deli because the lights aren't necessarily the greatest in the world. Which then brings us to another thing, which we all have them on our phones, would be a flashlight. Yes. And in fact, you and I have already looked on Amazon at rechargeable like little desk lamps uh, to put on the table that we could play and it recharges via USB. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to, to use some of our uh, budget money and go get a couple of those. They're like, what, 10, 15 bucks a piece or something like that. But, and it always happens that when you're done cleaning up a game, 
one of those little pieces, one of those little chits just falls off the table yep. and it finds the dark crevice under the table and you're having to look for it because you cannot not have it. It's probably mm-hmm. something important. What's something that you want in yours? Well, speaking of that, because you're going to be using your phone flashlight in order to find those pieces, you probably want to find a ph- bring a phone charger. Mm. It may be late in the day when you do your gaming, so your battery may be going down. So if you're constantly looking up rules on BGG or taking pictures to put on Instagram or using your flashlight, your battery's going to go dead. So bring a battery pack uh, to charge your phone or just a uh, wall charger so you can plug it up somewhere conveniently. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this will create a sort of a rant for me, haven't had a McCree rant in a while, a knife. I need a pocket knife. I need or, or exact knife. I don't care. But I'm going to need a knife to be able to get into that box. I've got to be able to cut through because especially in today's times, I don't need my teeth slobbering all over the box, trying to rip the plastic off and getting my COVID self germs everywhere. We, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have COVID, but I'm just saying, trying to get in there. That is just not cool right now. Can you not use your like thumbnail and go between the box lid and the box to create, you know, rip it the plastic a little bit and peel it back? Are you willing to risk a paper cut? That's not a paper cut, a plastic. When you're running it between the edge, you could get on the, have you, some of those boxes have those sharp edges. They're not rounded. They don't have the paper rounded and it can cut your thumb. Have you never experienced that? I guess not. Well, that's probably because you usually bring the games for us to punch, though I am proud of you. (laughs) <laughs> I have been punching recently, if you've noticed, and sorting. Yes, you have. And getting from the bags appropriate for players, I do appreciate that. No, I, I don't do that because just because I've had too many cuts where the stupid box has cut my thumb, and I'm like, this hurts. And also, I don't, I don't have a lot of fingernails. And also, that uh, pocket knife is really good for opening, taking the cellophane off a deck of cards when it doesn't have the nice little uh, peel, the mm-hmm. little strip that you peel around to pull off the cellophane. Instead, they're all like real tight mm-hmm. and you can't get your thumb in there without damaging the cards. That's a perfect place for a knife. Absolutely. Or if you put your mouth on it, then your saliva has gotten there on the carves and you, cards and you damaged. I've done it many times. Try the corner, try to rip off a corner, and then you're damaging the corner of the cards. Why do they have to seal them so freaking tight? I don't know. I don't know. I, I always give FFG credit. Typically, those are folded at the top mm-hmm. like a like a Christmas present, so you can usually peel off the top. But those ones that are heat sealed, mm-hmm. oh, give me a break. Yeah, give me a knife. Give me something because we're sitting there. That's that's slowing down setup. Even if you punt, because I I will admit on some game nights you get everything punched and you're like, oh, they're just cards and I don't want them to be floundering around. There's no setup, so we'll just open them when we get there. But no, no, we can't do it because we didn't bring our pocket knife. Which brings me to another item that I need to include in my bag, and that's extra little plastic bags for when we do open up the cards there. We want to put the decks of cards into little baggies to protect them in transportation. So always include some extra little baggies in your bag, too. Yes, or sorting them because you've got a certain set of way mm-hmm. you want to do the money versus the players. Or if, if it plays one to four, definitely include four bags just so you can have the players starting ones that everybody can put in the, the bag appropriately. Yep. So if you don't sort beforehand, I'll just always have some extra bags in there. Or sometimes you, I'm not sure how what's the best way to sort it to after the game has been played. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I, sh- I would rather have these separated from these tokens. So I need an extra bag for that. So include some nice little Ziploc 
plastic baggies. Lots of times games do include those in the box, but not all the time. So you might as well have some just in case. So I was reading on BGG when people were talking about bags and how some people are like, you know, well, the the publisher's got to include these bags. They got to help us out. They got to help us out. And I'll admit I'm guilty of this. I don't complain about it. But then I go and use my special baggies. Mm-hmm. I use my um, uh, static-free bags to put all my mm-hmm. games in. And people are, oh, I don't want those are low-quality bags. I want these special bags. Yeah, bags a bag. Well, number one, those static-free bags are pretty stout. They're pretty thick. Well, I want to protect the stuff. No, I'm just saying those yeah. aren't flimsy, cheap bags. Mm, that's that's true. They're not. It's just funny how people are like, well, I only want to use these particular bags. Well, I, shoot. When I first started gaming, I was just using sandwich Ziploc bags. Absolutely. That, that's what I would do. <laughs> I can get those at Aldi's or wherever, Walmart, real cheap. And Walmart even has these little cute square bags, not these long oblong rectangle bags. So those, yep. those work, work really, really well. I guess, you know, for me, I think, and then of course, pencils and pens are very important. Yep. Some things though, I'm not so keen on cause well we're lucky we use the um ice cream social um ice cream bowls to put our uh, chits and pieces in so we don't have to carry those that is a good one to get maybe like those zen bins mm-hmm. uh little containers and just have some of those for like little token holders usually if you go to somebody's house like whenever we game over at mark's house he does have the little bowls that he puts out on the table for putting the tokens in so if you're going to like well where, where we go Having little token holders is little trays or something like that is nice to have too. And, and that's kind of what the Zen bins are for. It's been so long since I've been to Mark's. I just, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have ice cream. I do remember that. Bottle openers. Do you need a bottle opener for anything? So some people, you know. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Uh, I guess if you're bringing your own beverages or something like that, if you don't have to twist off top of bottle opener. Um, I put, I guess it's going to depend on the types of games you're going to be playing. Obviously, you're playing RPGs. You want to take paper and dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never know when somebody may you know, misplace dice or didn't bring their dice and paper just to take notes on. Playing a lot of LCGs, I try to include uh, just some extra card sleeves. Card sleeves rip and uh, need to be replaced or something like that. So I usually throw, you know, like 10 to 15 extra card sleeves in my box too to put in my bag. So I've... I've- given up on sleeving this is only for uh lcg games i don't do sleeves on regular board games i'm talking about like arkham horror marvel champions so i wouldn't even sleeve them for those why are you sleeving cards still just to protect them uh i'd rather play with sleeves i just think i just like dealing with the sleeves better than non-sleeve and also to protect them i guess i I used to love them that was one thing we would do we would always get different types of sleeves especially when we would do netrunner you know, I would, I would have a special, this, this deck is going to be this color or, mm-hmm. or a long one. When we played um, Lord of the Rings TCG, I always wanted to get a certain color. And I think those are really important because if you're dealing with a CCG, you're dealing with rarities. And so if you got some cards, has some value to them, then you probably want to sleeve them. LCGs is not that big of a deal because there's no rarity associated with those. But then I found out that, wait a minute, you just said thank you to Donna. What does she bring you? Oh, she just brought me. A cupcake that is, uh, yes, and uh, it is uh, lemon flavored. Mm -hmm. So she um, did her famous vanilla cake, lemon cake. I'm sorry, her lemon cake. I'm getting, uh, it's coming in through the... Uh, Dara, what did you do with this uh, (laughs) cake? She did a lemon cake and then she um, filled it with uh, lemon 
lemon curd. She, that's right. She <laughs> filled in lemon curd here. No one could see me touching my ear like the old reporters do. Then there's a lemon icing. Is that correct? Is this a cream cheese or a uh, buttercream? Lemon buttercream. And then, mm. she, then she took the lemon curd and she put it on top right there. Look at that. Nice. That looks good. Yeah. And you know, it'd be, and she, I'm, I'm just giving her, uh, it'd be, it's really good with vanilla ice cream. Oh, yeah. A la mode. Oh, that's a hint. That was a hint back to Donna, I believe. I know, but she knows I can't because then the spoon would be making a lot of noise because she knows I don't like my ice cream to melt. Ah, that's a good point. So, so she, she treated me right. So, yes. And um, so I have that waiting on me. You need to talk so I can eat. Uh, well, after, after we finish recording, I'm going to go get a piece of a butterbeer cake uh, that we made the other night. Ooh, you, is that for an homage of Harry Potter? Uh, that's where it comes from, but it's um, it's a poke cake. So it's a regular cake, and then but you put in a cream soda into the sponge along with a box of butterscotch jello powder. Okay. Then you make the sponge. While that's going on, I make homemade butterscotch uh, with brown sugar, butter, et cetera, vanilla, heated on the stove. Poke holes into the cake, mm-hmm. pour that over the top so it soaks in. Then we made a homemade whipped cream icing to go on top, then drizzle the butterscotch on top. Well, then you need to hurry up and finish this segment so you can go get that. Oh, I am because we're going to watch the next episode of Great British Breaking, Great British Breaking Show, Great British Baking Show. I'm going to have a piece of cake while I do that. Well, aren't we just blowing that diet? <laughs> It's October. It's bad. It's bad. So speaking of which, you might want to include a little food in your bag. Who knows? Have a little snack if you go over and somebody doesn't have homemade lemon cupcakes for you to have. You could uh, pull out a moon pie or something. I actually used to keep a moon pie in my bag all the time if it's a little little mini in case I wanted a snack or something. Oh, nice over there. So I was in Food Line the other day, a grocery store here in the North Carolina area, and they had moon pies in a big bin. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin spice. Great. Now I got to be on a quest. Food line, you said. Food line. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to go to food line because I saw those and I thought, is that real? Is I didn't it? know if it was legit or not. All right. So we got to go get us pumpkin spice moon pie. That's new. That is new. Pumpkin spice moon pie. Get you some. Tell me how it tastes because I'm not a big pumpkin spice fan. I'm not either, but I'll just try it. So for what's in the bag, the poll is closed. We go over there and check it out over at our guild and just mm-hmm. see some of the other suggestions that you may want to do. But I do know that um, in the game bag, you need to have another bag to con- that contains your essentials. So for me, it's going to be a knife. Yep. And it's going to be reading glasses. Yep. It's going to be a phone charger. Yep. It's going to be... Did I say dice? To me, well, if I'm going to an RG, RPG night, for sure. On regular board, guy, board game night, I don't need them. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm just depending on what the game... I'm, if you're an RPG, you're obviously going to want to take probably a core rule book for whatever system you're playing and dice. So those are just my items. And for you, what's in your bag? No, I mean, it's the exact same thing. There's really nothing different. The essentials are pens, pencils, knife, glasses, phone charger. Being honest with you, all that I think you got it taken care of for me personally. First, just for a general, oh, bags, putting uh, bags inside of a bag, you know, where you could just pull out one if you need one. I think just having those in your bag too. And you can get those, you know, Hobby Lobby miniature, not miniature market. No, that's, that's the upcoming commercial. Uh, Michael's mm-hmm. uh, little jewelry bags that people use for like crafts and stuff. Those are really good. Or Amazon has them in bulk too, really cheap. Yeah. So bags. So inside my game bag, inside my bag of essentials is more bags. A bag of bags. A bag of bags. 
Okay. So what do we miss, everybody? Let us know. What's some maybe essentials that uh, you tell us about? You can go on uh, Twitter at Dyson Names. Let us know. Tell us in our uh, Discord channel. What's some essentials that we like, guys, you really forgot this that you could be really useful to you. So hit us up. What do we forget? All right. We just told you about what you could put in your game bag, but what if you need a game bag? May I suggest you going over to miniaturemarket.com and checking out their game bags. They have a shoulder bag and a backpack. Now the backpack is the one that we gave away in 2019 at our strike tournament event. Miniature Market gave all of our attendees one of these and these are amazing, huge bags that you can strap on to your back. It has multiple compartments in there. And if you don't want something as big as that, they have a little bit smaller one, the shoulder bag which you can carry with your hand or throw a little shoulder strap over your shoulder. It opens from the top. It also has compartments on either end for storing things like glasses and pens and extra bags, etc. Really good prices on both. They're both $24.99 each. Solid bags. I've been using mine for over a year now. Really well made. Will last a very long time. And also be sure to check out, they have the Zen Bins that you can go and add that to your bag so you can do your components so you're not over there trying to steal all the little plastic cups from your ice cream social. That's at miniaturemarket.com. At Origins 2019, when I was walking around all the booths and everything, and I was walking by Elf Creek Games, they said, hey, Marty. Let me show you this little game that we're going to come out with on Kickstarter. Why do you do that? Why do I do what? Last episode, you did this. Hey, Marty. It's like you got this um, behind the alley thing going on here. I'm like taking on their persona. It's like if I'm playing them and I'm walking by and they go, hey, Marty. And I go, what? And they go, hey, we want you to check out this game. I keep thinking you're going to come out and say, hey, Marty, here is some um, bad stuff for you. Come take it to us or something. Hey, Marty. Hey, Marty, come here, come here, come here. Well, it was kind of like that. It was kind of a back alley. And they kind of like showed me these drawings of this uh, board game that he's going to be coming out with called Honey Buzz. Mm-hmm. with these really cute little bees but they said it was like it's going to be a mixture of different types of mechanisms such as pattern building tile placement worker placement and memory and it's going to tell me how it's going to work about the idea it's also an economic element and the idea is you're going to be putting out little bees and you're going to be making different types of honey and the bears and stuff of the forest want to buy this honey and if you have the honey they're going to pay this certain amount of money and it's kind of a supply demand thing and whoever has the most money at the end wins it's like well that sounds pretty intriguing so i was very interested in that then you and i went and talked to elf creek last year at gen con where they were getting ready to kickstart the game and we saw some of the final art uh, that's going to be going into the Kickstarter. And we thought, this looks really cool. We were both really excited about it. And so when it finally got a Kickstarter and it funded, and a couple of weeks ago, we got a copy from Elf Creek. And you and I got a chance to play Honey Buzz, a game that we'd been waiting over a year to try out. Yes, we did. And I just had to take a big swig of water because I finished up my lemon cupcake. And oh, it was so delicious. So good, Marty. I think we're going to talk about this for about 45 minutes so that you are held back from getting to your cake. But... When he was talking about the tile placement, love tile placement games. Carcassonne, mm-hmm. Don and I are always playing Carcassonne. And then it had the economic stock market. And you were like, ooh. And I was like, ah. And you were like, ooh. We're <laughs> like, this is this is really cool. And then we're like, how do you win the game? You get the most money. 
<gasps> Novel idea. It is not victory points. That's It is not. It is money. Big difference. Big, big difference. And we're like, okay. And you're having to build this honeycomb. Mm-hmm. We're reading over the rules. It's like, okay, this isn't this hard. This game is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. We've got some nuances here. we got to deal with this thing. And then when we get to game night, the wheels fell off the bus because we, we were hilarious. I've looked back at us playing this game and I'm like, what in the heck? Are we gamers or what? <laughs> and so when you go into this game, and this is very important, you need to go into this game not thinking about a normal worker placement. We said this with um, the few in the curse about a deck builder. Here with Honey Buzz, you got to break your stereotype. You got to break that mold of what this game is all about from a worker placement standpoint. Because typically with worker placement, right, you're going to place a worker, take an action. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit different in that uh, when you place a worker B, it gives you a tile that has an action icon on it, but that icon will not be activated until you complete part of your honeycomb that will complete an empty cell, an empty hexagon cell. Mm -hmm. Now, these tiles that you pick up are basically two hex shapes uh, stuck beside each other. (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing it on my fingers. So Tony's laughing at me. He's like, you take two hex shapes and you put them together like this. And that's what you're drafting and, and building. And basically you are building out this huge honeycomb. But the way you lay it out will eventually create these uh, holes uh, in the honeycomb that can be filled with nectar. But it's when you create those holes is when you get to activate every action icon that's around that hole. Placing a worker doesn't give you that action until you actually place the tile into the correct location that will activate it. When we were playing this, it, it just was not sinking in. That building these honeycombs, it's very important to identify which actions you're going to take when you complete this and does it achieve the goals that you need to do in order mm-hmm. to get the money or that allows you to either manipulate the market or be able to fill the orders. All that had to sink in and I think... It was it was sticky. It was sweet. <laughs> it was honey. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And it's just like, oh my heavens, why are we not grasping? And when you place those two cells, there are certain rules about placing them. Certain colors yep. cannot touch. But and it wasn't until later that I realized that you know the dark colors and the light colors they it, when they're when is when the empty cell is formed, they form a pattern that then equates to the nectar that it makes. Yep. That's the part that was really kind of mind blowing because how you orient these tiles, like you said, there's either a light side or a dark side. And if you want a particular type of nectar, like say there was this one nectar that said, well, if your empty cell is lined with the dark lines all the way around it, you can claim this nectar. If your hex cell has four dark lines, two white, you get to claim this nectar. And, or if you have them oriented so that you have their two dark on one side, two dark on the other, and then two light on either side, how you shaped the cell was important because then you could forage. One of the actions was forage was get one of the nectar tiles mm-hmm. to put in that hole that would then produce that type of nectar, which you could then sell at the market to make the money you need to win the game. That's right. And you had that and that just kept going. We're going through this and it's like, okay, I got to forage and I got to be able to move to go get that nectar. 
And then I also have to have the produce action where I put my fan and that's what a game game term there. The, the fan goes down and wherever that fan is touching a nectar, that nectar produce is produced. And oh, and by the way, if you're foraging, there's also pollen that comes into play as well. If you don't want a certain nectar, then mm-hmm. you then you can take pollen, and that's sellable as well. Everything's the the forest is in need of nectar and pollen, and everybody will be happy, and they need special honey, and wow, and and <laughs> and, and you did a really cool thing. You built your hive such that when you placed a two cells down, you completed two empty spaces. Yeah. I, yeah. You, so if you can form it correctly, when you place a tile, if you happen to manipulate it where you complete two empty hex spaces at once, then you're activating all those action icons around both. So you can create these really sweet combos. Uh, one of the action tiles is a decree where you could uh, repeat uh, one of the actions, uh, one of the other types of actions, and there's different types of actions. There's an action to get you additional workers. There's an action to forge, which is actually able to get you uh, nectar tile or pollen. Then there's one that's produce, where you could produce a type of nectar on there. There is the decree where you could repeat uh, an action already taken. There's one that'll just give you five money, mm-hmm. just instant money, which is basically victory points. And then the market where you could go and sell everything or complete orders because there's these cards that said, Hey, if you happen to have this type of nectar and this type of nectar, I'll buy that for you for X amount of money. So you can also complete orders too. Right. Oh, and by the way, when you're completing orders and getting money, that's not the only way you get money. You can also get money by going out and, Oh, I don't know, being the first to get X number, having the most nectar or the queen says she wants to have the most empty cells in her hive. There are various conditions that can be met that are either as soon as it happens, it's a race or at the end of the game. Yeah. So there's basically three cards that are dealt out from this deck of cards that are in game or in game objectives. Mm -hmm. And some of those, like you said, are races. The first one to achieve this gets money or it's at the end of the game. Whoever has the most of this or this or the least of that or whatever We'll, we'll get money too. So like in a lot of good Euros, there's in-game and post-game objectives that will give you additional points or money. So not everything was sweet in the Honey Hive. It was not. And I liked everything about the game. I thought the I thought it was a good merging of all these different mechanisms of the tile placement, the worker quote placement, the, the, the market itself, how it works. So every time you sell uh, pollen or nectar, the value drops by one. Mm-hmm. And one of the in-game conditions is if a couple of those tracks are at the lowest that they'll end, or if two of the three order decks have no more cards in them, that will also trigger uh, the end of the game. Tony, what got me was actually the icons on the tiles themselves. An icon would indicate, it's like, this is the type of action you could take. One of them was like a, it looked like a larvae. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was a bee larvae. Okay, I could figure that one out. That's like you're getting an extra B. On your turn, you place a B or you take all your Bs back. And when you take all your Bs back, um, if you generated one with that produce a B, you would get that one back at, ter- at that point to be able to put it on the board in a future turn. But some of the icons, Tony, were so close together, I kept confusing. I was like, wait a minute, is that the forage icon or is that the market icon? And I was constantly looking at my player card to see 
okay, which, which action was this? I could not get it straight, nor could I get some of the different types of nectar straight because the colors were so different. There was light yellow, there was darker yellow, there was medium yellow. They were kind of had different shapes to them. I was constantly having to reference, okay, what type of nectar is that? That's that type of nectar. What's the nectar that demand card's looking for? Is that the light one or is that the dark one? Is that the one I have? You didn't have an issue with it, but it was killing me. Yeah. And I think the two that messed you up were Forge and Produce because Forge had a bunch of flowers and Produce just had the fantail, the fantail flower, some of it. Yeah. Which looked like flowers. And it was a flower. I just wish on the tile itself or on the place where you had the stack of tiles where you put your B, it would have had some sort of icon to indicate what it was. Or word. I, I guess they didn't put English on there, so it could be, you know, mm-hmm. not limited to English. You got one board for every type of language. It was just messing me up. And and you kept saying, I don't understand why this is messing you up. This is not a problem. So this was just me. I just struggled with the colors of the pollen and the icons of the actions. Well, now, in fairness to you, the, 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 the nectars that would come out, I would have to look at the shapes again. Mm-hmm. I'd okay. Is that the one that looks like a lemon drop, or is that the one that's a star? And I had to keep going back and looking at which ones those would produce. But you're you're right. You know the cherries and all uh, the various the wildflower pollen. I mean, there's they had you know several different types of pollen. So I mean, it's gorgeous. Don't don't get us wrong. The oh R my one. gosh, it's a it's a linen rule book. Did you feel that this like linen pages on the rule book? It was it was super nice, and the little actual pollen that you get, it's like these little squishy, sticky things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a, I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's fun to play with. Because when you produce pollen, you actually take one of those and put it on your uh, little nectar space, mm-hmm. and when you sell, you actually pull the nectar off of there because each nectar space can only have uh, one type of nectar on there. So you're right. I didn't really have a problem with that because I, I got my my mind to wrap around. Well, your the bees are flying out to forage to go get the right to find the right flower, and then to bring it back or tell everybody where it's at, and then they're going to produce. I was like, okay, okay, I got this. What was what I didn't like was the in game scoring and the racing. Really? Yes. Why, why is that? Because. I, well, I guess I liked it because it helped me win. <laughs> oh, you didn't win. You decimated Mr. I can't read the icons. <laughs> I had a goal. I looked at those in-game scoring cards and that was like, okay, I'm focused on getting a lot of demand cards and leaving a lot of holes open at the end of the game, which generated victory points on this particular objective card. Right. And I think I got wrapped around the axle with trying to generate my my hive mm-hmm. and, and making sure I was completing and getting the right, because I could see which ones I needed and I would do that. But what I think threw me off was the amount of difference. First place gets 20 money. That's huge. That's huge. And second place gets 10. Yep. Third place gets five. And last place gets nothing. If you're playing a three-person game, then third place gets nothing. Correct. If you gather two of those three, that's 40. And if I were to split second place with someone, big, that's 30 points right there. That's big. And I scored 40. Right. And I came in second in both of those, but you still had a 20-point lead on me. So are you feeling those objective cards shouldn't give as much money? Whenever I see a differential like that in a game, and Uh I'm not an expert gamer or anything like that, and I play games poorly, I know that, I begin to wonder what threw off the scoring. I guess I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, we've played a game recently where the scoring was within 10. Mm-hmm. Tammany Hall was within 10 or something like that. Yeah, it was really close. Yeah. 
Every time I play Pillars of the Earth, I am talking, we are within, the winner is within five of second place. Yep. And that is my expectation of, okay, what did I, whenever I see a 30 point spread, what went wrong Yep. in the players or in the game? I'm not blaming the game. I'm going to blame the players. Let me get some more honey, honey buzz under my belt. And let me see what's going on here. See why I'm so far off on that. So I'm, I'm, that was my one thing. I mean, I, I questioned the in-game scoring. Uh, I know one thing that we had, we thought we was going to have a problem with early on. It was partly a memory game. Uh, when you went out to get nectar, all the nectar tiles will turn face down. And so when you get, went to get one, uh, you went to what you thought was going to be the one that you needed, but it could have been something else. And if it was something else, then you just got to put it face down, but then you know what's there. Maybe you can go get it later. They changed that. And in the base rules, they played it where all the nectar tokens are face up. And instead you have a token that when you forage, it's a line of rows and columns of nectar randomly put out. And all of you start on the left-hand side and then you start moving across and you can land on one and get that type of nectar. So you get to move one for free during a forage or spend one dollar to continue moving orthogonally to get to what you want we played it that way and the advanced rules or the variant is the one that's the memory version i don't know that i'll ever do the memory version i really like this other one of being able to move my token around the board to get the ones that i want and like you said earlier if you forage and there's a pollen that uh you can't get to or you just don't want you get nectar instead which you can always sell at the market also yeah, and I don't see us ever doing. I mean, I have a hard enough time remembering rules. Why would I even want to try to remember <laughs> where things are on the board? It's just interesting that originally the game was going to be the memory aspect, and I wonder if through playtesting or just people talking about it, they changed the mind and said, "All right, let's do this other method." And one of the variants is the memory. Maybe if we get really good and we get a chance to keep playing and playing and playing, then we may want to do that variant. Yes, but again, it's everything that I wanted it to be. It was a mishmash of different mechanisms. I mean, it is a true tile placement game. It is a thinky tile placement game because, like I said. The way you place these tiles will determine what nectar you're going to fill in that hole and which tiles that you take will determine what actions will be activated when you complete that hole. So there's a lot of things going on when you put your worker out there onto the board to determine what tile that you're going to pick up and where it's going to go. That is very, very thinky. Beyond that, then you're just activating your actions to get nectar, produce that nectar, and sell it at the market. So it's a great merger of different mechanics. I really enjoy my time with it. It probably plays, eh, I don't know, hour to hour and a half. It depends on how fast you can get through the market. We triggered the end game with the demand cards. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how ours are done instead of selling. I think it's one of those you might want to play where instead of your, maybe you focus on one certain type of honey so that you're always selling in bulk because you can sell as much of one as you can when you go to the market. And maybe that's a quick way to generate a lot of points. We were generating different types of funny because I was because I was trying to do those demand cards. But the thing is, and this is what also threw us off in the game is after you activate, that's it. You don't ever go back and revisit unless you put a fantail to produce. You don't get to go revisit those actions. Well, except unless you build on the opposite side of those existing tiles and create yet another hole that may trigger a couple of those actions because then it's adjacent to that hole. Yes, that that is absolutely true. But it's not like if I built, uh, completed an entire circle and then I'm going to go, oh, well, I, maybe I can go get those. No, I got to redo those actions again. And also, if you're looking for a particular type of 
nectar, remember that hole has to have that certain number of light and dark and a certain pattern when that hole is complete. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think uh, what I enjoy most about the, the game is it is there a lot of these types of games will sometimes come down to, all right, I built this engine, then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You know, just keep mm -hmm. doing the same thing over and over. This this you cannot do for the exact nope. reason why I stated. You have to rethink what worker actions you're going to accomplish and when you complete that hole in your hive. So I enjoyed that part of it. I always enjoy a good market game where you're mm -hmm. trying to sell. And like you just pointed out, it's, hey, do I want to concentrate in the, the cherry nectar and, and run that market to the bottom and, and suck the goodness out of it for what I can? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to try to get the high points as quickly as and just do one and only benefit from one of those and drive it down so other people will not benefit? There's, there's a lot of strategy to this from that standpoint. But I will say the in-game scoring, I'm, I need to go revisit that. I think if I keep seeing games where I have massive point swings or point differences, then we've got some, an issue for me. But other than that, yeah. I enjoyed the game, enjoyed the tile. Art's gorgeous. Had no problem with the um, icons on this. Simple actions, easy to teach, but I do not see this going to, and I always do the litmus test, to Donna. I'm not seeing her enjoying this type of game, even though she loves the thing. I think there's too much going on for her to say, hey, uh, yeah, this sounds like a good game for me. I don't see that happening. And for me, uh, all your pluses are my same pluses too. Um, again, I think it's a it's, it's hard to take a bunch of different type of mechanisms and merge them together the way they work so well, especially one that includes a market. I thought they did really well at this type of market and the tile placement working with the market. That's just different. And then that these actions are triggered based on when these tiles are placed and everything. My hang up was just the icons. And that just comes with playing it more where it makes more sense as, as far as determining what type of nectar this is, et cetera. So don't let that stop anybody from trying it. That was just my little hang up. Again, it didn't affect anybody else at the table. It was worth the wait. Like you said, Tony, the, the art is gorgeous. It is high, high quality stuff. Elf Creek Games is really knocking it out of the park when it comes to production. We played Atlantis Rising, which is just gorgeous, gorgeous game. So anything that they are coming out with, I will immediately be interested in. This is Honey Buzz from Elf Creek Games out now. If it sounds like something you'd be interested in and you try it, please let us know your thoughts on it. And you can see what all the buzz is about. Hey, as we mentioned in our last show, if you're part of our Discord channel, we are having a big October giveaway where every Saturday we're going to be giving away a gift certificate for $10 to a lucky winner or $15 if you're one of our supporters. And it's not too late to join the Discord channel. We just gave away a prize this past weekend to Don Lyles, who is a supporter of the show. We got, he got a $15 gift certificate. And uh, the question has come up, Tony, of people have asking, hey, when are you going to start another crowdfunding or, or something like that, like we did with Pod Pledge? It's been a while since we started one. Tony and I kind of decided, you know what? 2020 is just kind of a crazy year. Let's uh, let's not go setting up stuff and asking people for things when when it's just, you know, that's it's just not the right time to do it now we kind of want to see next year how things are 
before we set something up because one of our biggest pledge levels last year was our strike tournament at Gen Con. Fingers crossed we could do it again next year and we would want that to have one of our levels so that people can come and hang out with us at Gen Con. So it, it will be back, but it'll probably be 2021 before we kick something off. Again, Pod Pledge is always out there. If you do want to support us, you can. And we appreciate all that uh, everyone has done. But as far as kicking off a brand new campaign, that'll probably be coming in uh, 2021. Well, that's good because I'm not ready to do anything. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no more. I mean, you know, the the RPG thing was a it was a thing. It was good. People enjoyed it. Uh, they're crazy. They're they're lying. I know better. They didn't enjoy that from me. That was that was one of those things that just hey, Marty, this sounds like something funny. People won't play RPG with me. Put that in there. See if anybody's going in for that. And they did. And thank you. And so they did. Much. And we had to play multiple sessions of it. Yes, we did. We won at seven a.m. on a Saturday. Oh, uh, that's right. But we we did, and it was it was a lot of fun. So yeah, we wanted to see what we want to do. Uh, with the next time we do this and have some really fun levels and, and stuff like that. And we also got another announcement too. I know that over the years we have had some amazing interviews on the show with a lot of different people. And every time we have them on the show, it takes up a big chunk of the show to where the episode gets really long and we feel like we don't give them the uh, amount of uh, time that maybe they need along with the other stuff that we try to do. So what Tony and I have decided is we're going to split out any interview shows into a separate episode and they would come out in an off week. This is not going to be like an every other week thing. Uh, again, you know, we only probably do interviews probably maybe four to six times a year, but in those cases, instead of being a part of the regular show, it'll be a regular numbered show, but just come off in an off week and uh, just focus on that particular person. And we're trying to expand it. We typically talk to designers or publishers, but Tony and I have been brainstorming about a bunch of different people that we would like to talk to. There's a lot of different people behind the scenes that it takes to get a game to us. After the designer comes up with it, it goes through a lot of hands to get to where we're sitting and playing it at our table. And that's the people we want to talk to. We want to hear what is the job of a graphic artist? What is the job is a, of a marketing person? And we have all these contacts in the industry that we would like to have them come on, tell us about their job and what it takes for them when a game comes to them. It's like, okay, here's the stuff that I do to this so that we can get it into the consumer's hands. And we're excited to kick this off. Our very first episode is going to be with Rob and Lindsay Davio. Well, you know, Rob is a designer of like Pandemic Legacy. He's uh, with Restoration Games and his wife, Lindsay, does a lot of graphic work at Restoration Games. Now, Tony, we first reached out to Lindsay and see if she wanted to come on. And then Rob said, well, I want to come on too because I want to talk about Pandemic Legacy. We said, okay, fine, Rob, you can come on, but we're going to talk to Lindsay first. I like how you're couching this as we want to get people on and things like that. We are literally going to have to... I don't know, hide the moniker RDTN or something and trick them. <laughs> I mean, why, why would you want to come on? And I mean, Lindsay was probably thinking, hey, this sounds kind of interesting. Rob's like, say no, say no. <laughs> Rob's probably like, look, I need to be on there with you because these guys are idiots. And so I need to kind of protect you and kind of be the buffer between you and them. So that's probably really the reason why Rob is coming on. He's going to be translating. I know he is. <laughs> this is what they meant to say. I've seen Lindsay... Uh, 
do some of her work for restoration games. I think it's very interesting to hear about uh, what she does with the company. And uh, also, we're going to hear from Rob. We'll get an update on Pandemic Legacy Season 0 that's coming out. And also, one of the things I want to do, too, is find out a little about more about these people. These people just don't play games and do that kind of stuff all the time. There's other things that they're into. And I always think it's interesting to hear uh, some other interests that people have besides board games. This will be an interesting dynamic with those two because, I mean, to be able to share the house with that funny man. I mean, I know yeah. what Donna has to put up with. So it'll be interesting to hear what Lindsay has to say. <laughs> so that uh, will be coming out on October 20th. That'll be the kickoff episode. Again, these this will be every other month or something like that. We're going to have somebody on. So, for example, when Ignacy would typically come on, he would come on this special episode. Uh, but again, we want to open it up and talk to a lot of different type of people, especially artists, Tony. We don't ever have a lot of artists on. I'd love to get some of the big time artists on the show and talk about, how, how, man, what's your inspiration? How does this all work and everything? So I'm excited about this. Oh, I am too, especially. I, I mean, I'm excited to talk to the artists because that is something you, I mean, we don't know. We thought we knew something about music, but wait till we start talking to an artist. They can correct yeah. us all night long and explain certain things to us because I found out something in, in putting puzzles together, Marty. What's that? I'm not very good at telling varying dark shades. We're doing the overlight puzzle right now. And she goes, well, that's put that next to the dark blue piece and the dark purple piece. And I go, no, they're all dark blue. And she goes, no, one's dark purple, one's dark blue. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. I really don't see it until I put them together and there's a bunch of it. Then yeah. I can, then I can start seeing it. But it's something as I've been working on these puzzles with her, I'm like, I do have an issue here, don't I? She's like, Yes, you you've got multiple issues, and I go, I know that, <laughs> but but I did I didn't realize it. So when we have these artists on, I, there's no way I could be an artist. No way, my paintings would be just the primary colors, and that'd be it. It's not the paintings to me. It's just actually being able to physically draw things out, see things in your head, and draw things out, and. Uh, I'm sorry, dude. I've seen a lot of your paintings on miniatures. That is very artistic, and you do a lot of those very well, and your color palette has been very good on some of those paint uh, miniatures, so don't sell yourself short. Well, um, I understand. And, but we uh, we roomed with somebody who was an artist. Yes, we did. I mean, like a legit, real like artist who could draw. It was a, it was a natural-born, God-given talent that I for sure do not have. And it would piss me off. <laughs> He would just he'd whip something out, and I'd be like, "That sucks! I cannot yeah. believe this." Vanessa's brother's the same way, man. He's an artist oh, yeah. and do stuff like that. so. Yeah, a lot a lot of these people are going to be talking to and just be in their awe because we're just so jealous of all the talent they have. So, I'm excited to be able to get to the non barbecue in November. November first. Mm -hmm. We're planning uh, you and I at least. <laughs> <laughs> I've got tons of two-player games. I've got some David Thompson games. I'm dying to get on the table again. You know, maybe Burke can join us. Yeah, we're going to uh, have a lot of fun that day. Still do our ice cream socials whenever we can, because that's uh, how we get the content for the show at this point. Absolutely. And I mean, there's uh, some of the things that have been rolling up. I'm excited. I am going on vacation, but you will not miss my voice. But I'm excited because I'm taking, got to teach somebody Ohanami. I was told yes. that N-A is the um, stress syllable. Playing with four people, Marty, that game is f a lot better. A lot. I mean, I mean, you and I have them, but playing with four people, oh, we're big ratchet up. I was excited to that. That's a good game. Very good game. That is a good game. So, you know, I just can't wait to head to the beach and roll my dice. And take your names. 
Thanks for listening and make sure to check back next week for the beginning of our very special interview series. And the premiere will be at the table with Rob and Lindsay Davio. Record. All right, I'm going to go through the whole checklist. The clock is running. I've got three hours. Uh, and it's plugged into the AC. All right, on my side, we have uh, clock is running. The mic is hot and actually registering up and down. Is your is the correct mic oh, on? Great question. Great mm-hmm. question. It is. Okay, right. very good. I'm plugged into AC as well, and the SD card is in there. All right, we are ready to go. Here we go now. Woohoo, we'll get this done in one take this time. Hopefully. holidays are coming upon us you're going to be getting some games you got to be able to store those games somehow y'all you got to be able to organize those games i'm telling you one really great way to do that is to head over to thebrokentoken.com check out all our organizers and storage solutions for the games plus they have a lot of 3d printed terrain that's coming out now so if you're into miniatures games or role-playing games they have a lot of different terrain that you can put on your tables get it in prime it up paint it make it look nice there's some really highly detailed models they have out there right now be looking for sales coming up. They typically do a Black Friday sale. We're going to hit up, hit them up and see if they're going to be doing something like that again this year. To find out more, head over to thebrokentoken.com. <laughs>